Welcome back. Welcome to the patrons. Uh, we have Ken Klippenstein, who is the national correspondent at The Nation and Napoleon, a legend, our, one of our favorite panelists. Uh, he's an activist. He's a musician, an artist, a hip-hop artist. Uh, and we were having a conversation on the main show uh, just about how the media... Uh, some propaganda conversations, whether it's propaganda on the left or the right, um, how propaganda is 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 really functioning in Trump's world right now, um, and why it's able and how it's being able to get amplified. And uh, Ken had just told us about this article he had published in um, the Nation, which just came out. You should check it out if you haven't already. Uh, to those patrons out there, it talks about how uh, ICE is basically doing propaganda work for. Um, for the Trump administration against journalists, and we'll put that link in in the bio. But I want to talk about, you know, an, another sort of messaging issue here. Uh, the public says COVID-19 is a higher priority than confirming a new Supreme Court justice. It's a poll from The Hill, which surveyed voters of all political stances between September 30th and October 1st, found that 74% of respondents thought that the Senate uh, should prioritize COVID-19 relief over a SCOTUS confirmation. Among those demanding the passage of a st stimulus bill before the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett were 88% of Democrats, 77% of independents, and 55% of Republicans. The need for relief during this economic crisis is, of course, bipartisan, so but so is the apathy of our current political establishment. Uh, this was by the Hill. The Hill is not necessarily left-leaning. Um, but it also echoes a point. We, we, we played a clip of, of my time at the Trump rally, and I had interviewed um, some other folks, and they had talked about how Democrats in Congress were not prioritizing COVID relief. They, on one hand, they're in denial about COVID, but not about the economic consequences of COVID. And then when I pushed back and said, well, what about the Senate? The Senate's led by Republicans. They're like, well, no, 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 they'll do whatever. They'll do whatever when it's handed to them. It's really the Democrats in Congress. So <laughs> it's like mental gymnastics here. It's, it's, it's cuckoo town. Um, I mean, Napoleon, I, I see you nodding your head. Uh, and of course, our patrons can't see that. Like, how do you disseminate meaningful messages as a movement how do you push on pressure points when they're just when you've got congress doing nothing and the right wing like pushing out cuckoo town like i don't even know what's going on over there how how the normal course of business isn't working everybody wants economic relief nothing's happening well i mean i think we need to be in unison like it's it's obvious I, I, first off, I believe that poll, you know, what, what you know, that the Hill took. I, I really think that people need the help. People are struggling. Uh, they're in a precarious situation right now. I'm trying to put, sometimes I try to put myself in the Congress people's shoes and, and like, how would I not, how would this not be a priority for me? Yeah. And um, I just don't understand how, how, how they could push it to the side because all people want to do is be able to stay in their homes and keep their fridge full. And I think we, we, we have to keep putting pressure, whether through organizing, through who we intend to vote for and, and, and really be vocal that we're not gonna, we're, we're gonna vote these progressives who care about what we care about. And, and we're gonna push the rest of you donor Democrats out of there if you guys don't vouch for us. We already know the Republicans, that's not really their, their, their main thing. They, they, they're really, like uh, Ken was saying earlier, they're really on the war, the culture war of the things. We're, we, we want to help people because people need the help. And, and I think we have to maintain pressure and we cannot 
we cannot let up on on the the, the so-called donor centrist Democrats uh, who who are sleeping and, and lagging when it comes to this thing because that people are going to be out on the streets, people are going to starve, people are going to get sick, and and we we need to take care of these things. It should be a slam dunk for them. They need to realize that. Look, this is where this is where like the, the, the people are going. So the electorate is gonna reward them for helping out the people. You guys are right. not understanding. Maybe now your campaigns are getting finance or you're getting money from these certain donors, but at the end of the day, the demographics are not on your side. I mean, Ken, uh, that's ultimately it. Like you, you're you examine systemic issues and uh, clearly like Republicans, obviously, we're, we're expecting them not to do anything, but but Democrats in this moment, I mean, even if they slightly signal, OK, maybe we'll move to the left on this issue. When the IMF today comes out with with a notice saying that governments, rich governments around the world should be investing in infrastructure and funding essentially government. I mean, when the IMF, who's not beholden to campaign donors, is saying these things, doesn't it just rele- reveal that that folks in Washington like they're just so afraid? so afraid yeah i can't remember which investment bank uh, put out another thing similar to what you're saying i think it was goldman sachs they put out a warning basically telling investors you know if trump wins this next election we're going to see growth rates decline uh, to an extent that you know isn't anything like what you would see with the democrats and uh you know goldman sachs is no fan of uh, progressivism by any means and i'm not necessarily saying that you know uh biden is that but for them to come out and warn their investor class who i assume are excited about um, a lot of uh, parts of this administration's um, policies from the uh, you know corporate tax rates to personal tax rates that kind of thing um, that's really troubling <laughs> um, I, I should say uh, you know I appreciate the honesty on the um, <laughs> part of Trump just coming out and saying like yeah I don't care about COVID I want to get that Supreme Court nomination because <laughs> that's a- sort of admirably frank it's unusual that people are that direct in, in government particularly within the Republican Party but what they what they care about. But yeah, the mask is off. I mean, they're just coming out and saying it. And what's astonishing about this is it's four weeks from an election. If they can't care about, you know, people not being able to afford rent four weeks from an election, when are they going? They're never going to if they can't, if they don't care about it now. This is the time, you know, and he's trailing too. He's right. he's not doing well. So all the pressure is on him and this is the best they can do. And he still can't. It's it's incredible. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because uh, he ran as a populist, as we all know, and yet he's not running. He doesn't seem to actually be running as a populist right now. He seems to be running with his like 16 percent base and and running in denial. But, you know, OK, so there's this other story as Trump uh, battled the coronavirus at Walter Reed, a medical center over the weekend. Uh, he spoke of his good care and the quick recovery. And I don't think we should forget who was caring for him. Dave Sirota, our friend uh, of the show, pointed out on Twitter writing that he was, quote, facing a life-threatening infection, Trump decided to check himself into a government-run, government-sponsored, government-controlled healthcare facility. And then, of course, Sirota went on and said uh, that while the liberal pundits and politicians were sending thoughts and prayers to the president over, over the weekend, they remain in opposition to Medicare for all. So here's another situation in which there's an illustration and they could really capitalize off this moment you know, while Trump is doing crazy things in an election year, the Democrats really aren't doing, and hopefully they do win, but they're not doing anything to make a case for the solutions that are going to solve this economic crisis that so many folks are facing. Um, Napoleon, you're like, again, like, <laughs> I could feel the fume coming out of here. <laughs> no, it's like, what the, what, are the, what are the Democrats doing? It's just like, 
the, the party the party needs to really change they're not in line at all with what the people are looking for are they I, I question myself I'm asking myself are they aware of this or are they really so disconnected I and I ask myself that a lot because even when it comes to Trump like Ken just said the elections are four weeks from now like yeah what are you doing you're not trying to win like you know helping people will probably uh, put put a lot of people uh, to fate make a lot of people favor what, what you're doing and I, I think once again, it's like it's consistent with what the Democrats do. Like they they drop the ball when it comes to these things. You could outwardly um, uh, support Medicare for all and things like that. When it comes to socialism, the rich get it, the corporations get it in the form of tax breaks, bailouts, yeah. medical care. When it comes to Trump, so you have all the arguments to show that these things actually work they work very well they're efficient and there's there's uh there's not enough uh, political will for them to to get behind that in full force and they should and i think they'll regret not getting behind that now rather than later when it's already you know they're already going to be replaced by other progressives hopefully I mean, Ken, this reminds me of like when you've been in a relationship with somebody and you're fighting with them and you're in like a three hour knockout drag out fight and you've, you've really exhausted all of your arguments and some of the arguments clearly are flawed yet because you're so angry at the other person, you just can't let go of it. And it feels like in this moment, you know, you, you, one side's just clearly in the wrong, right? But they can't let go of the argument. They can't let go of the argument. And to me, like, being opposed, openly opposed to Medicare for all, for, for Joe Biden, slamming socialism and, and equating socialism and communism with Putin and, like, whatever he did the other day in that town hall, he did it on MSNBC, I, I can't understand what their game plan is. Like, what is Biden's plan right now to make a case to working Americans that not only is he the candidate, because he needs to win by tremendous margins, so there's no shenanigans, or the shenanigans don't make a difference, but like moving into like, how, what are his solutions for the economic recovery? Yeah, well, I mean, this is who Biden is. He's built a career on, you know, being friendly to, for example, uh, the financial industry. Uh, which precludes the kinds of popular programs that you're describing happening now. And, you know, the model of politics, uh, if that's, you know, what your, what your donor base, all your connections that you've built over the decades is, then, um, you know, uh, not only are you now going to be able to do the popular stuff, um, you're going to have to appeal to disaffected Republicans in the center as opposed to trying to turn out more people who may not have voted otherwise or Democrats who are going to sit it out. Um, and so this is kind of what it is. I kind of saw, you know, I mean, I, I feel like this is just how it goes. When Bernie Sanders was defeated, um, you know, the view in Washington, it's, you know, you can pick this up just talking to congressional staffers and things. The view in Washington was, oh, great. We don't have to worry about all that stuff they're making noises about. Now we can just, uh, you know, pitch this campaign to maybe people that voted Trump and don't really like him as much anymore, who are relatively affluent, who uh, don't have the same concerns of, you know, like a lot of the country, the majority of the country. Their concerns are maybe aesthetic in nature. They're embarrassed by Trump. They find him boorish, that kind of thing. That's all great for someone like Biden because the kinds of concessions you need to grant, if that's what your model is is, is based on, it's not going to cost you a whole lot of money. It's not going to cost your donors a whole lot of money. So, um, I mean, unfortunately, this is his political philosophy. This is his model. And I hate to say it, but it's working. And I'm not saying that I approve of it. And I'm also not saying that progressivism wouldn't work. But um, they're not going to learn. They're not going to take any of the right lessons back from this. If he ends up winning a landslide election, as it appears uh, he's poised to do, 
So, um, you know, unfortunately, I think that's just how it goes at, at this point in time. But I mean, what is the what is the middle road? I mean, he, he wins and Obama here was the middle road in 2016 or in, excuse me, 2008. And it was literally the greatest achievement of the Obama administration. So what's the middle road now? You know, you have got a healthcare crisis that is you can't there's no way you could even imagine this there's no way they could have projected it along with an economic crisis that is specifically tied to the part of obamacare that is a failure so where is the middle ground for them they have to actually pass medicare for all don't they like what is the option they're just going to let people go bankrupt well, open anybody jump be, in i think this is why zoom sucks another another like band-aid like they always do like find another way to get make insurance companies dictate the terms of like a new so-called improved plan and it's 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 gonna it, instead of just doing it right you know the first time they're just gonna try to find another way to bring the insurance companies at the table which is not really what we need it, 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 we, we need to have a plan that makes sense for people, period. That's efficient, period. Mm -hmm. But this system always ends up having a, 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 a small group of profiteers from everything that happens. So yeah. it's like anything else. I think that he's going to revamp the plan. It's going to help a few people, but it's still going to let a, a lot of people on the wayside. And they don't care about these people, apparently. And, you know, just, just to, to echo that. The one thing that's going to be at more, uh, they're not going to have a seat at the table, unfortunately, is, is, is a lot of unions. You know, they're waging their own battles with their own, with, with members just keeping their jobs and negotiating. I mean, look at the airline industry right now. Uh, Ken, I mean, how, how, how can Biden get out of this and actually come out on top without being blamed by Republicans for, for not dealing with this health care crisis? Um, my expectation is he's looking down the barrel of what happened to Obama when he won. Uh, if you look at the midterms, he got slaughtered in the midterms because he didn't, you know, I mean, you can look at the polling on it. There's different reasons. But one of them is people felt as though he didn't deliver on what they perceived, uh, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, it turned out, as a progressive promise initially. I, you know, when he was first elected, I remember a lot of people saying, yeah, he's going to do single payer. He might do something like this. And then as soon as he came into office and had that supermajority, all that stuff went out the window and it was instantly... Um, this, you know, ACA thing instead. So, uh, you know, if Biden isn't able to deliver, uh, I'm concerned that we are going to see in the midterms another, you know, sweeping election, not just by the right, but, but whatever the equivalent of the Tea Party is today. And given the, you know, kind of ethno-nationalist characteristics of the Trump administration and what effect that's had in the Republican Party, it may be even uglier than it's been in the past. So, so that's a great um, last question. The, the ecosystem has been built. Um, it is much larger and stronger than anything we could have imagined with the Tea Party, which was already very dangerous. It's Sarah Palin, you know, and, and her little movement. Um, now you have a fully operationalized and, and funded, um, not that they weren't before, but much, much more funded and out in the open uh, army, essentially. Maybe some actually do have arms and some don't. Um, it's, it's metaphorical, but they're ready to go and they're i mean i saw them this weekend they circled me they were up in my face i mean they were armed with uh no masks to me that was dangerous enough but uh they're, they're much more dangerous in that they're extremely organized so where do we go as a movement when we're trying to a lot of folks are saying well we're going to put all of our energy into challenging biden and making sure that he fills in all the blanks on those issues that he supposedly stands for and that the blanks are filled in by us but at the same time we're going to be fighting off the you know the fascists aren't going to go away i mean napoleon like how do we we're not or like you said we're not 
organized enough or not in unison enough, how do we take on these two challenges at once without Trump? There's, there's like a party going out outside of my, my, my house. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're gonna we're gonna lead, need solidarity more than ever. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to. I don't want to say we're gonna have to watch each other's backs, but we we kind of have to, when we got these type of forces, and be very very weary and very careful, and not not fall asleep at the wheel when it comes to the threat of of these people who are ready to go at any time. Um, I think also, um, yeah, like we, we have no choice but to but to keep organizing and keep putting pressure and keep just hammering down our message until you know it just becomes like you say mainstream and 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 people start really just kind of like what bernie started where now everybody's talking about medicare for all and single payer and things that we need we're going to need to to for biden to understand look history showed what happened to obama on this side like ken was saying yeah. you're looking into having serious losses uh coming up if if you do the right thing by the people it's smart for you politically. It's like it's it's able. I don't know if we're gonna be able to to to, to break like he said his his relationship with his big donors who he's actually um, pushing their agenda. But we we have to we have to show him that it's smart politically for everybody for him to do the right thing because this country is really broken, the system is really broken, and 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 it's 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 really we're at a crossroad right now, and he needs to understand that you know. Ken, um, final question. I mean, how, how does the movement do this and, and how pressure Biden and also make sure that this uh, fascist movement is contained and eliminated, um, hopefully in coordination with Biden trying to do the same? Well, there's two solutions to that. One is the sort of counterterror approach um, relying the law enforcement and intelligence community to do, which they are doing some work on it, I understand. Mm -hmm. But they're seriously handicapped by the fact that the administration has, you know, at various points, the whistleblower from DHS recently alleged this to Congress, um, they are being told not to look into the white supremacist threat. And, um, you know, uh, they're, you know, they're different characters of the uh, Trump, uh, Trump administration supporters. There are some that are just, you know, virulently anti-government or whatever it may be. Many of these groups do pose some kind of threat, at least according to the uh, law enforcement community. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult for them to be able to respond to that. But the other one is what Napoleon said, which I think is the right approach, is the more you make government, uh, whichever party it is, both parties, uh, the Democrats, whatever, the more you make them responsive to people's uh, needs, uh, the less incentive there will be for people to retreat to these insane fantasies, whether it's QAnon or... UFOs, I mean, we've had this stuff for decades. Uh, let's yeah. not pretend like this stuff came out of nowhere. It's maybe more dangerous now and you know more pervasive, but there's always been an element of um, retreating to fantasy in the country because the reality is so ugly. And uh, you know, if we can make our representatives um, represent us in a you know authentic fashion, there's gonna be less reason for people to retreat to this uh, kind of make-believe world. And that's really all we can do. Here, here, let's, let's uh... Let's hope that putting pressure on Biden to take care of those issues is like the easiest, fastest way of killing this uh, this very dangerous threat. All right, guys, I really appreciate you. I hope you uh, can come on again soon, Ken. I hope your Bichon Poodle's doing well. Ken and I have matching dogs. I just heard We're my Bichon dog go by. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we have I major see, you, gotta, you have to update me on her. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, patrons. Talk amongst yourself. I'm grabbing my dog. <laughs> <laughs> they can listen to your reaction. Hang on one second. Oh, <laughs> look at the little call. All right. Aww.
This is Bijou. He's making his sort of TNS debut. He's been in some merch ads. He sells, he's the one selling the merch. He sells the mug and the bag. He's the mascot of, he's very dirty right now. But Bijou is a 13 year old Bichon poodle. And my mother stole him from me when he was five, but I still sort of own him. And he's wearing a diaper because my mom, because oh. they we had another beach on poodle, and he used to mark. They'd play a game of marking oh, all no. over the house. <laughs> so he now lives in a diaper, <laughs> but he's very sweet. So, all right, guys, thanks for for bearing with me as I went to go steal my dog. Uh, <laughs> take care, and uh, we will see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye.